Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Renee Evans. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com. An hour or two before I was due to come to service, I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to preach that message. First time that he's flipped the switch on me in such a drastic way with such little time to prepare. <laughs> so extend your hands towards me and say grace in Jesus' name. <laughs> we got this. We got this. It may be a bit rough around the edges, but um, oh, thank you. See, I love that encouragement. Thank you. Okay, I need to, let's just start by praying. <laughs> That's a good place to start. Wow, God, we just thank you for being in the room. We just thank you that you came expectant to encounter your people. And God, I just thank you that even as the night goes on, that more bodies will be healed, that more souls will be healed, and that every single person in this room will encounter your love and your goodness and new levels. We just thank you for your grace in our lives, and we thank you that you choose us, God, that you choose us in Jesus' name. Amen. See, I was excited about my last sermon because it was kind of a fun sermon, had some fun illustrations, even have some props on the side that I'm now not using. Um, (laughs) So I was excited to deliver it, and then when he gave me this sermon, I'm like, oh, I'm not as excited to deliver that one. So I just couldn't shake it, though. I really felt like this was on my heart. I'm, I'm kind of emotional around this subject because I'm processing, processing, process, processing, processing, sorry, Americanize it. Um, so I'm processing, processing, thank you. Um, I'm processing this along with you, and one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned from Pastor Bill was that you don't spend time in the presence and the time and time in the Word to teach people. You spend time in the Word to eat, and then what is feeding you will feed others. So this is what I'm eating, <laughs> and I hope that you will enjoy it. <laughs> you might not, but that's okay. I will, and I'm preaching to myself, so... Just imagine that I'm sitting next to you in that seat, and I am preaching to myself. Don't we all need to know and hear the messages that we have inside of us? (laughs) We are our greatest audience oftentimes. Okay. So, I actually... um, I encountered some articles this past week past few weeks that have just really kind of broken my heart a little bit, and it's a lot of backlash against Christian leaders. And as I was reading some of these articles from people that I don't know, I just began to feel the Lord's heart break. Break for these people, but break for His church. I just have this sense and such a love for the local church that she was created to be a place of love and not judgment. 
You know, we all know it, but it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin, not ours. John 16, 8 says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And in Romans 2, 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance? And see, sometimes we're so good at singing the songs, like, your goodness. But the truth of the matter is, as soon as we step into that seat of judgment, we no longer believe in the goodness of God. By us judging other people, we're saying, your goodness isn't good enough, God. Your goodness doesn't measure up. But that's not our God, amen? And that is not our heart, and we know how good he is. I love Billy Graham's quote. He said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. You know, I, I imagine it this way, that when we are loving people, we are the most powerful soldiers in the Lord's army. But the moment that we step into judgment, we become pawns in the enemy's hand. See, the Lord said to me, he said, the, the enemy doesn't need devious plans when he has judgmental Christians. We're playing his hand for him. This is a great time to introduce my whip. <laughs> okay, so this is a little bit of a personal joke, but uh, I preached a message uh, about a year ago in the pre-launch, and I wanted to go after a couple of things that I said, but um, I, you know, didn't have a whip, so someone bought me one. <laughs> you guys, I've been practicing. Wait, watch this. Stay back. on a farm. They would be so disappointed in me right now. Okay. All right. Well, so I'm just going to make the sound instead. <laughs> Apparently, there's an app, though, that you can get that you press the button and it just goes, Whoosh. see, Chad right here has it on cue for me. <laughs> I'm going to put this down. <laughs> okay. I want to read a few pieces of scripture to you. And the first one is Matthew 7, 2. And if you were at the women's night, some of this is a little bit of repeat for you. Um, you know, I kind of came up here originally apologizing for how fun, like, foundational and elementary this message is. And then the Lord said, never apologize for the basic gospel. For it is the simplicity of the gospel that is the greatest stumbling block. And if we just did the basics of the gospel, instead of adding things on, our lives would be a whole lot easier, and I guarantee a whole lot more people would be getting saved. You can't add to the gospel. It's perfect as it is. Amen. So in Matthew 7, 2, it says, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I had this revelation when I was reading this verse, 
And the Lord pointed out to me, he said, notice that it doesn't say, for with what, for with what judgment you judge, I will judge you. Isn't that interesting? I know, it's interesting to me. It's always interesting to me what the Bible doesn't say. <laughs> you see, I believe that what he means by this is that when we begin to judge other people, the same measure in which we judge them, we begin to judge ourselves with the same measure. Because we are our own worst enemies sometimes, aren't we? Some of the articles that were written, this is kind of a touchy subject. If you uh, get offended, you can email Joaquin Evans. That is, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But please understand my heart. It, I, I don't want to shy away from touchy subjects in church. And I don't want to cause offense. It is not my heart to cause offense. But inevitably I do, and we all do, which is fine. But there was this one article, and it was written against a person that actually sat under his ministry for a long time. And I'd seen him and how many souls he had won to the kingdom and just the character of this man. And I watched as the Christian media just tore him apart. His name was Carl Lentz. He's the pastor of Hillsong, New York, and he was on The View. And they tried to ask him a question saying, do you believe that abortion is sin? He didn't say yes and he didn't say no. He simply said this. Before I tell you about what I think sin is, I would like to know your name. See, we all have convictions. We all have convictions, and you don't have to water down the gospel. We just have to stop doing God's job for him. Because he's really good at it. And as Joaquin says, he doesn't need as much help as we think he does. He's the judge and the one who sits on the throne, not us. And it is our job to love. You see, it broke my heart because I actually know his convictions when it comes to abortion. And does he believe it is a sin? He does. But he values relationship. He values relationship more than he values being right. And he said this afterwards, and it said, In the wake of the immediate backlash, uh, backlash, he went onto Twitter and explicitly said that he believed that abortion was a sin, but that he felt the understandable weight of fear of losing the ear of many non-Christians who he would otherwise minister to. See, the moment we open our mouth in judgment, we close the door to a whole group of people who need us the most. You know, one of my closest friends back in Australia, I got born again when I was 21, so I, did, I crammed a lot of living into those years before that. And I'm not proud of a lot of it. But praise God that he saved me. Praise God that he saved me. But I have friends who have had abortions. I've had friends and have friends that are gay. 
And it breaks my heart that they only know the church as a place of judgment. How are we going to see cities and nations saved when we're doing God's job instead of ours? I think that the church is for everyone. Jesus didn't come for those that are healthy. He came for those that are sick. And so do we have convictions about these matters? Yeah, we do. And we can have conversations about those if you'd like to. But you better believe that everyone is welcome through those doors. They're allowed in this room because I'm allowed in this room. And you're allowed in this room. And we're never going to get anywhere if we're just telling them what's wrong with them. I am in Matthew 23, 13. You know, the Pharisees were really good at judging people right? It's kind of like their main job description. And this is what Jesus said about that. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to those who sit in the judgment seat. We could translate that. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven for others. See, when we step into the place of judgment, we don't just affect ourselves, but we actually affect people coming into the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I got a healthy sense of the fear of God. (laughs) And I don't want to answer to him for my judgments here on earth. But we all do it. We all do it. We're getting better. We are. We're getting better. As just a show of hands, why don't you raise your hand if you feel like you've ever been judged? And if you're brave enough, why don't you keep your hands up if you feel like you've ever sat in the place of judgment? I love that Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the Pharisees were accused of putting burdens upon men that they couldn't carry, of putting expectations and judgment upon men that they couldn't carry. But that's not our Jesus. Our Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I thought it was quite interesting that Jesus was a carpenter. I did a little bit of digging, a little bit of research, and one of the many things about carpenters and what they did in the day of Jesus was they built yokes. It was a farming and agriculture life back then. And so one of the biggest tools that was in demand was a plow and a yoke. I just think it's interesting. I don't think it's by mistake that God was a carpenter, the very builder of our lives, 
the one who in the natural would build a temple, lives inside of us and builds us. But he builds the yoke, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And if people just knew how good he was, if they knew how good our God is, we couldn't keep him out. We couldn't keep them out. I believe that a church that learns how to love is a church of power and influence. We want to have influence in this city. We've got to learn to love this city. And this city is weird. <laughs> and this city is wonderful. And it has all interesting kinds of people. And it is our job to simply love those people into the kingdom. John 8, 1 through 12. I'm just going to read it quickly. Uh, it's a long piece of scripture. But it says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? You know, the one thing that's actually consistent with these attacks on Christian leaders is they ask them questions like, God says that homosexuality is a sin, but what do you say? Christians are asking other Christians, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. We don't ask those questions of people if we're not looking to accuse them. And I love that Jesus didn't pull out the Old Testament and be like, oh, yep, that is a sin. Go ahead, stone her. Let me tell you what else is a sin. That's not what Jesus said. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. Man, may we be convicted of our conscience and not put our convictions upon other people. went one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those who accuse you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You think that she walked away from that conversation changed? 
motivated to sin no more. It wasn't through judgment that she was motivated to sin no more. But it was through love and it was through mercy. You know, um, stepping into this role, can I just be super vulnerable with you guys? Just pretend I'm not a pastor for a moment. Or a pastor's wife, if you're from the South. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, sorry. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I can do it. Can I just take a side note real quick? You guys, my motto in life is how hard can that be? So beatboxing, which I tried to do for you last week, turns out it's really hard. I was taking lessons on YouTube, um, and Joaquin said to me, and I quote, you sound like a gagging cat. He said, babe, I'm all for your dreams, but please let this one die. So I have given up on my quest to beatbox, um, but I will try again with the whip. I will, I will try. How hard can it be? Right? Now I've lost my train of thought. Okay, but at least that lightened the mood a little bit, huh? <laughs> Everyone's like, ooh. Okay. You know, I don't know about you guys, but when I spend time in the presence of God, I just come out feeling like ooey, gooey love. I have actually never known someone who spends time in the presence of God to come out more judgmental and critical than when they went in. And if you do, I'd like to propose to you that it may not be the Holy Spirit that you're meeting with, but another spirit. Because it's not our God. Oh, that's right. I, I remember where I'm at. <laughs> My vulnerability, you know. This is like the line of vulnerability, and Joaquin tells me, like, I always go, like, way over here, dragging him through it with me. <laughs> I'm like, well, someone needs to be, you know. Um, so anyway, being at this level of leadership with this platform is new to me. You know, and I don't claim to even be where some of these people are that are being criticized publicly and openly. One of them is Lauren Daigle, who I just think is phenomenal. And I love her. And I love that she's taking worship music into the secular, that she's breaking every box of religion. I love that she went on a gay talk show. Because she is influencing culture. She's not condoning sin. She is bringing the gospel to the millions of people who tune into that show. But you know, we've, we've gained a little bit of criticism since we began this journey. I always... Um, 
Again, I was like, pastoring, how hard can it be? <laughs> Lord. Someone once said to me, you better know that you know that you know that you're called to be a pastor. And I'm like, oh gosh, do I know, do I know, do I know? And I do, but it doesn't come without criticism. The funny thing is it always comes from people who don't know you at all, which I think is hilarious. But you get a small glimpse into what these people must be doing. And I guarantee that at some point or another, everyone sitting in this room has been criticized. They've been judged. And can I just say sorry? On behalf of the church, I'm sorry that we judged you. I'm sorry that we made you feel lonely, that we made you feel an outcast. Mother Teresa said, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible of poverties. See, we just need to take a moment and put ourselves in someone else's shoes, right? We have this blessing and we have this curse called social media. And it makes it all too easy for people to sit behind a screen and throw stones. I love social media. I sometimes just create accounts for fun. <laughs> I know, I'm weird. <laughs> but I love it. I'm obviously international. And so it's a great way for me to connect with my family and with my friends. But it's a really easy place to feel judgment and to give judgment. See, if we take the humanity out of it, if it just becomes a keyboard and words that we type, and we take the human on the other side out of the equation, then something that was designed to create community and connection becomes a weapon of war. You know, this is going to sound very harsh. I love you. <laughs> but then I feel like I've already crossed the line tonight, so you know what? May as well just jump right in, huh? I have never been criticized by someone that I see that their life is producing fruit. I've never been criticized by someone whose life I admire the work that they are doing in the kingdom. Because those people don't have time. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I need to get my... I don't know. <laughs> but we don't. See, we always think that people are thinking about us. But the truth is, is they're thinking about them. People don't have time to think about us. And the ones that do have time, I'm not going to say that. But 
See, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm not saying you have to live a perfect life in order to have influence. I'm just saying be on the road to growing some good fruit before you cast stones if you're going to cast them. But just don't cast them. It's a lot easier. You know. You know, something that really impacted me this week is uh, a group of us, some of our leadership team, we went down to San Marcos for a regional pastors gathering, and there was a man named Jack Taylor there. Does anyone know who Jack Taylor is in the house? Oh, man. If you don't know who Jack Taylor is, I would highly recommend you get acquainted with his books, with his messages. He is just a man of revival. He is a man who loves the presence of God. He is 84 years old and still an itinerant minister. And he's praying for another 15 years to keep preaching the gospel. (laughs) He's been in ministry for 70 years. 70 years. And you know what he said? The older I get, the more I realize I don't know what I'm talking about. See, we don't have to have it all figured out. And actually, it serves us better if we don't. We grow into childlikeness. I don't know about you, but I got some young kids at home. Most of the time, they're angels. But on the occasion, they argue with one another. They start throwing their little stones at one another. You know what I tell them? I'm like, judgment looks ugly on you. And you are not an ugly person. And so I'm going to get old mama on you and just say, judgment looks ugly on us. And we are not ugly people. We are the bride of Christ. We are meant to be the most radiant, love-filled, joy-soaked people that this world has ever seen. I don't know about you, but I am done with religion. I'm done with religion that says we know it better. We have the right theology. You can't come in our doors because you're a sinner. What is the church for? If we can't fling wide our doors and welcome in the hurting and the broken, then what are we doing? Our time in his presence is done in futile. Because it's obviously not transforming us. And don't hear me wrong all of you people who are drafting your emails to Joaquin already. (laughs) I have convictions. I have beliefs on what is sin and what isn't sin. I 
I have a standard in which I hold my life to. I do everything I can to live a righteous life before God. I allow him as best I can to convict me, to judge me, to pick me up and turn me around and go in a different direction. But that's between me and him. My convictions don't fit on Megan. They never meant to. That's religion. A one-size-fits-all. I'm not saying live an ungodly life. I'm not saying don't pursue righteousness. We need to be more concerned about the condition of someone's soul than we are about the sin that they're committing. Because God is really good at his job. Because if a person changes because of our judgments, it's not going to stick. We're not that powerful. (laughs) But if they change because of the goodness of God, that one's going to last. It is my desire that we become a church that is known more for love than for judgment. That we are known for more of what we believe and less of what we don't believe. And we believe in love. We believe in redemption. You guys, I was just listening to Amazing Grace on the way here, and I'm like, if you just need to get rocked, you just need to listen to that song. That he saved a wretch like me. Our redemption story isn't so different than the person sitting next to us. And we have a lot of testimonies in the making in this city. You know, there's always going to be people who judge. We'll always be judged, whether we like it or whether we don't. But we can do better. We can't control other people. We're not trying to control other people. That would be a cult. But we can control us. You know, we get to choose to rise above, and we get to choose whether we're going to show love or judgment. And we don't show love to people because that's something that they need or something that they want. We show love to people because we are loving people. Other people don't determine how we act. See, we honor people, not necessarily because they're honorable, but because we are. And we love people, not necessarily because they're deserving of our love, but because he first loved us. 
We get to choose kindness. I have so much hope for the church. And I believe that it's the local church that will sustain the move of God. It is the local church who will disciple the harvest that is coming. It is the local church that puts hands and feet to the gospel. I love the local church. I have so much hope for the local church. He's not coming back for an ugly, broken, critical bride. I um I used to be a makeup artist, which is <laughs> kind of random. Something you'll learn about me is I've had a lot of random jobs, a lot. It wasn't just any makeup, by the way. It was special effects. So if you need a gunshot wound in your face, I'm your girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> I know, random, I told you. I used to want to work on CSI. Like, that was my, like, dream job. But <laughs> isn't that weird? Um, so anyway, um, being in that industry, <laughs> in, the, in that kind of industry, I met a lot of people who were gay. And I love them. And you know what? Sometimes the gay community does better than the church is love and accept. And we wonder why all of these people are running over there changing their lifestyles. It's because they're not getting what they need to get from the church. So they're going to go other places to find it. Love can heal any kind of brokenness. I believe it. I've seen it. He's done it in me. But you know, it's it's always heartbreaking when the world does a better job at our job than we do. I get, I get very angry sometimes. <laughs> I like to call it my, um, what is that word that John Bevere uses? My holy discontent. Anyone else, like social justice issues, sometimes you just get mad. Yeah. I just get mad. Yeah. Like the whole trafficking industry, don't get me started. I just get mad. I want to, again, take off my pasta hat and throw a few punches, but <laughs> I won't. Don't worry. I will love. Um, <laughs> but we need to be a refuge. We need to be the most loving and accepting people that the world has ever seen. And I guarantee that if we do that, if we can be that, then we won't even have to try to win souls to the kingdom. They're just going to come running because that's what everyone wants. They want to belong and they want acceptance. I love the city that we're in. I love Austin. 
And I believe that we are going to see Austin changed. I really do. I want to hear people saying, I didn't know that the church was like this. I didn't know how at home I would feel. I didn't know how loving they could be. And you know what? We just love them. And we just let God work on them. Because he will. If you believe in the goodness of God. And you believe in the word of God. Then you have to believe that it's his job to transform and not ours. Takes a bit of pressure off though, don't you think? We don't have to change anyone. We just get to be this conduit of heaven, this fire hose of love, aiming it at anyone who'll stand still long enough. <laughs> we have the best job in the world. But see, when we do God's job for him, we get anxiety, we get worry, we get fearful. Because judgment is rooted in control. When we move in judgment, we're trying to take control of a situation. I got this, God. I've been doing this a long time. I got it. You just stay there. We take God out of the equation sometimes when it comes to evangelism and when it comes to loving our city. But you guys, I have hope in a glorious church and a glorious bride. And you are so stinking beautiful when you love. You are so attractive to the world when you love. Because you guys, they don't expect it. <laughs> That's both heartbreaking and awesome. So what do you say? You guys think that maybe we could just get an upgrade in love tonight and a downgrade in judgment? <laughs> I do. I tell you, when I say that I preach this message to myself, it's a constant thing that God is working on me in. And I catch myself all the time. And you know what the cool thing is, is I'm getting better and I'm getting quicker. I'll be scrolling through my social media and I'm like, is she really a Christian? Like, she's wearing that. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> And then I comment, and I'm like, you're awesome, and you're beautiful. Because <laughs> I'm determined to love. I'm determined to make him proud. And I'm determined to bring him pleasure. When he sees his kids loving on one another, I can't tell you as a mom how proud of my kids I am when I see them loving each other. When I see them giving each other compliments, putting the other before themselves, they're five and six, so it doesn't happen very often, and we rejoice <laughs> when it does. 
But you know, Pastor Bill taught me this as well. He said, you know, if you focus more on what people are doing right, they'll want to keep doing right and forget about doing wrong. But when you focus on what they're doing wrong, you keep bringing it to their forefront. And they're just going to keep stumbling and stumbling. So we get to call out the gold. We get to call out the beauty in the world around us. You know, Steve Backlin, who was here not that long ago, he lived in a mining town. I'm not sure if Joaquin has um, relayed this story, but he, he lived in a mining town in California. And they mined, and mined gold. And he said this one statement, and I think our entire leadership team was like, for several minutes, but he said, See, when you live in a mining town, you have thousands of tons of dirt that gets moved every day. But no one talks about the dirt. Babe, guess what I did today? I moved 500 tons of dirt. You don't hear that. But you know what you do hear? I found this speck of gold. And he made this statement. He said, people won't mind you moving their dirt if you're looking for gold. Our intentions and our motives have to be love and they have to be pulling out the best in people, calling them, calling them, and just telling them how much God loves them. Seeing the gold and seeing the beauty. And when people know that you care, that you truly love them, and you don't just want another notch on your salvation belt, then they don't care if you move their dirt. And they'll have hard conversations with you. And you're going to have hard conversations, and it's good. We're not talking about shallow Christianity. We're just shifting the responsibility of conviction from us to the one it belongs to, which is the Holy Spirit. I want to be known as someone who finds the gold in everyone. I, um, I, I, I told this story a little while ago, but I went to the prison. Um, my first time going, I was very intimidated <laughs> and very nervous. Um, I didn't get told that it was the maximum security prison, which would have made me even more nervous before I went in there. <laughs> but you know what they all have in common, those women? They don't need someone else to tell them what's wrong with them. They already know where they've fallen short. They already know. What they don't know is the redemption grace of our God. What they don't know is that they have value. See, the world doesn't need us to tell them what's wrong with them. They just need us to tell them who loves them and how good he really is. Amen? Okay. 
well. That went better than I thought it was going to go. We want to open conversations with people, right? Let's open conversations with people and not shut up heaven for them. You guys, we got this. We got this. I know I don't know all of you, but there are some of you that I know, and I've got to say, I am so proud. I am so incredibly blessed that I can find anyone anywhere and say to them, come to our church and you will be loved. And you can't ask for anything better than that as a pastor. So thank you. Thank you for loving our city well. You guys are awesome. You want to stand for me? I'm going to wrap it up. I think the best way to love is to have a love encounter. It takes it out of our hands and our striving and puts it into his, which is a great place to be. So the band is going to stop playing. And if you want a love encounter, if you want an upgrade in love, I just want to invite you to come forward. I even believe that many of us will go home tonight and that repentance is required. I don't know about you, but I repent to the Lord all the time just in case. <laughs> I'd rather over-repent than never repent. <laughs> but man, I ask him to change me every day. Because the Jesus that I know was the greatest lover of humanity. The sinners flocked to him. And it's not because he said, we'll ignore your sin. It's because he said, I'll love you through it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, we just ask that you would just encounter us with your goodness and with your love tonight, Father. That we will be reminded once again of how good you are and of how strong and fierce your love is toward us and toward all your other children, God. You know, Pastor Bill was once asked this question. It was a moral fall of someone and he stood by them and loved them, didn't condone it, but he loved them through it, and he got so much criticism for it. And someone said to him, how can you love that person? And you know what he said? He said, because I fear the God in them. <laughs> <laughs>
too much not to. We got to remember that God is in everyone. They may not have invited Jesus into their heart yet, but God created them. The God that created you created them. And I don't know about you, but it always helps to remember that the God in them loves them more than we could ever imagine. And it breaks his heart when we cast stones at his kids. So let's just not do it to the people who are outside of the church because it starts within the church. Man, Christians should be the most encouraging people on this planet. Christians should love each other with such a fierce love that the world looks at us in awe. Let's not judge one another. We'll never be able to love the world if we can't first love our brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com.